Book of Mormon Prophecy, a podcast series by Avraham Gileadi, Ph.D. 21. What is hardening the heart? Why does the Book of Mormon define a key spiritual principle on which his people's eternal destiny depends as whether or not they harden their hearts? Welcome to podcast number 21, What is Hardening of the Heart? Now, we probably have preconceived ideas about what it is, but I brought together a few scriptural definitions or a few scriptural references which give us a definition what they mean, what the scriptures mean by hardening of the heart and what that is exactly. That's really important that we go by what the scriptures say, not by our preconceived ideas about things. Now, hardening of the heart goes together with blinding of the mind, and blindness of the mind and hardening of the heart cause one to dissociate from God. They go together, thus creating a discord between a person's spirit, which is pure, pure creation of God, and the body or the carnal man, and that creates conflict in a human being. And it kind of accumulates and the vicious circle that keeps increasing unless you actually take yourself to task and say, okay, what is it that I'm doing here? Why am I why do I feel so dissociated from God? And then start asking questions, start repenting of those things that are distancing you from God. So we're going to start with a scripture from Second Nephi thirty three verse two. Hardening the heart against the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that seeks to work with us and strive with us, actually, to get us onto the path of righteousness, truth and light and understanding, and of love one toward another and of love of God, and the desire to keep his commandments, conform with his will, and to fulfill our missions upon the earth. There's a whole bunch of things. It says, There are many that harden their hearts against the Holy Spirit, that it has no place in them. When we go to section 76, Doctrine and Covenants, we notice that. The Holy Spirit is ministered from the celestial through the terrestrial to the celestial worlds by the angels who are appointed to minister it. Hardening our hearts against the Holy Spirit means we're just denying that influence in our lives to a greater or lesser degree. And to the degree that we do deny it, it leaves us blank, it leaves us powerless, it leaves us vacant, it leaves us empty, unable to do much good or to fulfill God's will for us or to his plan of our, for our salvation and exaltation. Is wherefore they cast many things away which are written and esteem them as things of naught. Those things that are written, of course, are the scriptures, which were given by inspiration and by revelation through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures are precious. We do that to the Book of Mormon, we do that to the words of Isaiah. We have just certain assumptions about things. And we don't give them a second thought rather than giving them all kinds of attention. We have our precepts of men, our false interpretations, popular ideas. We have preconceived concepts, old assumptions, inherited traditions and interpretations. No part of our stock in trade as we apply ourselves to the scriptures or you hear about them or take time or care to study them. But the tendency is always to cast things away as 
is of no worth or things of naught. And we have to be continually fighting against that. It really is an absolute necessity to pay attention to the scriptures because they are the word of God. And without paying that kind of attention, we'll never get what the Lord is trying to tell us through the scriptures. And all this is very obvious, but we need to be reminded that that is the case. Our lives are so caught up in the things of the world that we tend to forget. Now we go to 1 Nephi 15, verses 8 through 11, where Nephi is talking to Laman and Lemuel about Lehi's vision of the tree of life. And here we see that not inquiring of God is to harden the heart. For hardening the heart involves not inquiring of God. Listen to this. I said unto them, to Laman and Lemuel, Have you inquired of the Lord? Okay, very simple question. And they said unto me, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. Well, really, says who? Does the Lord say that? No. What does the devil teach you? He teaches men not to pray, right? Not to inquire. And so, who's, under whose influence are Lame and Lamel talking? Not God's. The Lord makes no such thing known unto us? Behold, I said unto them, Nephi speaking, How is it that you do not keep the commandments of the Lord? How is it that you will perish because of the hardness of your hearts? Do you not remember the things which the Lord has said? If you will not harden your hearts and ask in faith, believing that you shall receive with diligence in keeping my commandments, truly those things shall be made known unto you. Anything you ask will be made known unto you. But there is a process, right? The process is not hardening the heart, asking in faith, believing that we will receive, and keeping the commandments diligently, then these things will be made known unto us. It's a five-step process. Because, like the Israelites said at the foot of the mounts when Moses brought the law down, they said, we will do and we will hear. With the doing comes the understanding. If we're not doing what the Lord requires, then the understanding will not come to us. We'll remain in our blind and hardened state. And the same thing with Father Adam and after many days, an angel of the Lord came to Adam and said, Why do you offer sacrifice? He said, Well, he didn't know. He'd just been commanded to do it. But with the doing came the understanding eventually, but then the angel explained to him the plan of salvation. So we do first part of the process, not hardening the heart, asking in faith, believing we shall receive, and believing requires an act. It requires us to exercise our faith, right? And that's something that we may not be used to always. It's creating in your mind the thing spiritually and imagining it and then saying, that's what I want. I see it in my mind's eye. I want that and I'm going to exercise faith in that thing that the Lord will do that for me. And then he will. He does. It's part of the process. All right, moving on. We go to First Nephi 12, verse 17. The temptations of the devil blind the eyes. This is about the tree of life, vision. So the angel explains, The mists of darkness are the temptations of the devil, which blindeth the eyes and hardeneth the hearts of the children of men, and leadeth them away into broad roads, that they perish and are lost. 
Now, if we have unrepented sins or guilt, and they remain with us, and we do nothing about it, they bring this veil of darkness upon our eyes. And we don't even know we're in that state, because that's what blindness is, right? Spiritual blindness, you don't know you're blind. You think you see. And then, of course, the temptations of the devil, they include all kinds of things. We could be, as Jesus said, involved with all the cares of the world and distracted by this and distracted by that. Really, we have to program ourselves or discipline ourselves enough to make a set time in the day or in the night to meditate and to pray, to give God the time of day or the time of night, whichever it may be, and spend time thinking about things of God, spend time meditating upon the scriptures, upon the nature of God himself and the character of God and our relationship to him and so forth. Then these things will begin to gel in our minds and in our hearts. And we will want to, as we see the fruits of these things, we will want to continue on that course till the things of God are perfectly assimilated into our beings and we're living them and then seeing the fruits as God manifests himself on different spiritual levels to us, personally, individually, first by the Holy Spirit and the gift thereof, and then Christ himself manifests himself to us, and then the Father and the Mother manifest themselves to us in that order, usually in that order unless we're special beings that have come on a higher spiritual level to this earth. So that is the process, and it is a promise of God, and he will do this. Next we go to 2 Nephi chapter 6, verse 10. Those who harden their hearts are smitten. It says, And after they have hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks against the Holy One of Israel, behold, the judgments of the Holy One of Israel shall come upon them, and the day cometh that they shall be smitten and afflicted. Of course, that day that cometh is God's day of judgment upon the world, but there's also, as it were, God's day of judgment for us individually. And is that cruel to these people? It's a consequence of their actions. Really, they brought it upon themselves by their neglect of the things of God and procrastinated the day of their salvation, and they got distracted by their idols, by their TV sets, by their, all their fancy things, by whatever thing is distracting them from the things of God, and so they're out of touch with the things of God. Before they know it, they're caught up in God's day of judgment and are taken away with the wicked from the face of the earth. Moving on to 1 Nephi 14, verses 6 and 7, hardness of the heart are destroyed. Now, we've quoted this scripture several times in different contexts. In this case, it has to do with hardening of the heart. Our discussion today. Therefore, woe be unto the Gentiles, that is, the Latter-day Saints of today, who've come through the Gentile lineages, a curse, if it so be that they harden their hearts against the Lamb of God. For the time cometh, said the Lamb of God, that I will work a great and a marvelous work among the children of men. That's worldwide, then. A work which shall be everlasting, either on the one hand or on the other, either to the convincing of them unto peace and life eternal, or unto the deliverance of them to the hardness of their hearts, and blindness of their minds, until they are being brought down into captivity and also into destruction, both temporally and spiritually, according to the captivity of the devil. It's temporally and spiritually, it's body and soul. To what? Captivity to what? To the devil, to things, to the things of the world, to idols, to devils, the powers that be, influences of, in the world, the media, whatever it may be. Something is taking us away from God. 
And the devil has an entire array of tools that he uses to distract us from the things of God. Now we go to 3 Nephi 20, verses 28 through 31. The end-time Gentiles harden their hearts. See where this is heading. Unfortunately, it's hitting close to home here because we are these Ephraimite Gentiles of whom Jesus is speaking in 3 Nephi. They, speaking of the Gentiles, shall be a scourge unto the people of this land. While that is the beginning of Gentiles who came and inherited the Americas. Nevertheless, when they shall have received the fullness of my gospel, now it's talking about those Gentiles who received the fullness of the gospel, that is, as a consequence of the restoration of the fullness of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith. And they were talking to a different group of Gentiles, those who are converted to the gospel that's restored. So first of all, the Gentiles will be a scourge unto the people of this land, the Lamanites of this era. And then they receive the fullness of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith, or a sizable portion of them do. Then, after they have received the fullness of the gospel, then if they harden their hearts against me, I will return their iniquities upon their own heads, said the Father. So there comes a time after we have received the fullness of the gospel, let's say it is in our day and age right now, we begin to harden our hearts against God, and we begin to go our own way and so forth. Then he says, I will return their iniquities upon their own heads, because that is a state of iniquity. When we harden our hearts, we're giving in to our iniquities. Not just sins, but it becomes a pattern. And when it becomes a pattern, then it's an iniquity. It can be generational. And the scriptures say that it is generational. The apostasy of God's people is generational. Isaiah chapter 1. And I will remember the covenant which I have made with my people, my people being the house of Israel. That's a covenant formula. My people, your God. His people, their God, and so forth. That's the covenant formula. And I have covenant with them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, with the Israelites, with King David and his heirs, and even with those who covenant any time of the world, that I would gather them together again in mine own due time. And this phrase, mine own due time, keeps popping up in the scriptures. And there's a specific period immediately before the second coming of Christ when you analyze it. So he's going to gather them together, and it coincides with the Gentiles rejecting the fullness of the gospel and hardening their hearts against it after they have received it, sometime after they have received it. That I would give unto them again the land of their fathers for their inheritance, which is the land of Jerusalem. He's speaking of the Jews. Well, of all the house of Israel, of course, each in their own way, because this is also a promised land for the Lamanites. Which is the land of Jerusalem, which is the promised land unto them forever, said the Father. Now, of course, the land of Jerusalem is a, is a big area. It's not just the city and so forth. The land promised to Abraham was from the Euphrates River, and which is in Iraq, to the brook of Egypt. So it's a large area, and it'll all come to the inheritance of the descendants of Abraham. And shall come to pass that the time cometh when the fullness of my gospel shall be preached unto them, the house of Israel, or to the Jews in this case, and they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and shall pray unto the Father in my name. So that is a beautiful thing, but it happens on the Gentiles rejecting it, the opposite of what happened anciently. When the Jews rejected the gospel, it went to the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles rejected it, goes to the Jews. We've discussed that before. And when we said that uh, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, as, as the scriptures say. 
Next we go to Isaiah 63, verse 17, where the hardness of the heart blame Jehovah. And this would be the covenant's people speaking, the Lord's covenant people of today, when they are beginning to miss out on the promises of God through the house of Israel. And the Lord's work of restoring the house of Israel is going forth, and the kings and queens of the Gentiles are doing this work of restoration among them. There are those left behind who didn't take on the role of saviors of others, saviors of men. And this is what the guys say that are left behind. They say, Why, O Jehovah, have you made us stray from your ways, hardening our hearts so that we do not fear you? Yeah. Blame someone else, right? In this case, blame Jehovah. When it is they themselves who chose not to repent, the chance was given them. So when this scenario starts culminating and bearing fruit, those who harden their hearts are being destroyed from the earth through the instrumentality of the Lord, the king of Assyria, and all of the disasters and destructions and calamities and so forth that come upon the world in those days. When all of that's going on and the earth is being cleansed of the wicked, of all celestial people, then this marvelous thing happens to the house of Israel. In 3 Nephi 21, where Jesus talks about it, verses 22 through 25, the house of Israel builds the new Jerusalem. Jesus says, If they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, speak to the Gentiles again. He's speaking to us, heaven people of the Lord, today. I will establish my church among them. And we've seen that through the prophet Joseph Smith, and it will continue to be so. He never closes that door. Jesus does not. Even when the majority of us fall into wickedness and become a Sodom and Gomorrah, there are those to whom he still holds out this promise to establish his church among us. And they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this, the remnant of Jacob. And he's speaking about the Nephites. That we will be numbered, those who repent of us, who remain on this continent, will be numbered among the Lamanites of today. And to whom I have given this land for their inheritance. That was God's promise to Lehi and his descendants. Remember? The Book of Mormon. And they shall assist my people, the remnant of Jacob. Not all of them, but the remnant that survives in that day. The righteous remnant. And also as many of the house of Israel as shall come. And that would be the ten tribes who come from the lands of the north. And they also inherit the new Jerusalem and help to rebuild it. That they may build a city which shall be called the new Jerusalem. And then shall they assist my people that they may be gathered in, who shall be scattered upon all the face of the land, in unto the new Jerusalem. And we know that that is the, the role and the mission of the 144,000 servants of God, the kings and queens of the Gentiles, who bring these people in their arms and upon their shoulders into the new Jerusalem and help them to rebuild the new Jerusalem. Then he says, And then shall the power of heaven come down among them, and I also will be in the midst. So that is the point in time when the Lord comes to the new Jerusalem, coming of the Lord to the earth. Coming of the Lord to the earth, by the way, is in three stages. He's coming to the new Jerusalem, as we just read here. He also comes to the Jews in the old Jerusalem, to the Jews who still remain unbelievers, because the main body of Jews does believe, before he actually comes, and they are taken into the wilderness while those unbelievers remain behind, and they are the ones to whom he appears on the Mount of Olives. So there's two factions of Jews spoken of 
in the book of Zechariah, section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants, I believe. First of all, those, the main body that does believe in Jesus and calls upon the Father in his name and so forth, as we read. But then there's also those disbelievers, those unbelievers, who will not believe until he shows himself to them on the Mount of Olives. And the third coming of Jesus is in glory to all the world, and that is the final act of his coming. So now, in summary, summing things up here, hardening of the heart is to lose one's connection with God and not to inquire of him. And I'll ask you, what does it take to inquire of him? You spend a little time a day, doesn't God deserve it and you deserve it? You connect with God and just simply start calling his name, speaking his name. It immediately connects you with him. The very fact that you address Father in heaven or in the name of Jesus or address Jesus, then it connects you with him. And then it starts this dialogue. It starts, the Spirit is able to manifest things to you. Before you know it, it becomes a habit and you want that because it's beautiful and glorious connection. And it, it feeds you, it empowers you. Time frame is the Book of Mormon times and the time approaching the coming of Christ. The words of Isaiah always have to do with the situation in the end time. They're the basis of Book of Mormon prophecies of the end time, as we've already discovered and discovering every podcast. Moving forward, can we identify ways that we have been hardening our hearts? Have you been hardening? I don't think any of us can say that we have not hardened our hearts, do you? At some point, habitually, almost seems like we have this propensity to continually harden our hearts, run away from the things of God, when really, things of God should be have center place in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, all the day long. And the next time, can we define the difference between sin and iniquity? Most people consider them one and the same, which they're not. And we'll discuss the scriptures that talk about these things. And recommended reading, end-time prophecy or Judeo-Mormon analysis. Thank you very much for listening. Please share with others. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Join us next time when we learn what is ripening in iniquity. Why is it important to know the difference between sin and iniquity? How do we know when we as a people are ripe in iniquity? What happens to us then?